Chapter Eleven of A Knight of the White Cross by G. A. Henty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eleven In Command of a Galley. William Neve, the governor of the prison, looked astonished indeed when, upon his opening the door, the Grand Master and the bailiff of the English Lang, with the twelve knights behind them, entered. He had been puzzled when, four days before, he had received an order from the Grand Master that Ahmet, a servitor in the auberge of the English Lang, should be permitted to pass the night in his house, with authority to move freely and without question at any hour in the courtyard of the jail, and to depart at any hour secretly and without observation by the private gate. Still more had he been surprised when he received the message that the Grand Master would pay him a secret visit at eleven o'clock at night. Let no word be spoken until we are in your apartments, D'Aubison said in a low voice as he entered. But first lead four of these knights and post them so that none can enter the jail from the house. If there are more than four doors or windows on that side, you must post a larger number. It is imperative that there shall be no communication whatever between your servants and the jail. As soon as this was done, the rest of the party were taken to the governor's rooms. I can now explain to you all, the Grand Master said, the reason of our presence here. I have learned that at twelve tonight there will be a general rising of the slaves in this prison, and that, aided by treachery, they will free themselves from their fetters, overpower and slay such of the guards in their rooms as have not been bribed, throw open the gates, make their way down to the port, burn all the shipping there, and make off in the six galleys manned by them. Having first overpowered the sentries and the three forts commanding the entrance, and spiked the guns, exclamations of surprise burst from the knights, who now for the first time learnt the reason of their being called out. The governor listened with an expression of stupefaction. With all deference to your highness, he said hesitatingly, it seems to me that someone must have been deceiving you with this tale. It is altogether incredible that such a plot should have been hatched without a whisper of the matter coming to my ears. It could only be possible were there not one, but many traitors among the officials. If this is so, then indeed am I a dull ass, and unfit for my duty here, of which I shall pray you to relieve me, and to order such punishment as the council may deem just to be allotted to me for having so signally been hoodwinked. My news is sure, the Grand Master said, but I deem not that you are in any way to blame in the matter. The plot has been matured not as a consequence of any laxity of discipline in the prison, but from deliberate treachery, against which no mortal being can guard. The traitors are two of the officials who, being members of the order, none would suspect of connivance in such a deed. With them are several, I know not how many, under-officials, warders and guards. All these have been bribed by an emissary from Constantinople, now in the town and who is doubtless furnished with large means. 
It is well indeed for the order that this terrible act of treachery has been discovered in time to prevent the plot from coming to a head. For the loss of all our galleys, to say nothing of the disgrace of having thus been bearded by slaves, would be a very heavy blow to it. Now that the house is safely guarded, William Neve, you can admit the rest of the knights who are waiting outside. Then you will, in the first place, conduct a party, and post them so that they may arrest as they come out to perform their share of the work, all officials, warders, and guards, of whatever rank. When you have posted knights to carry out this, and I need not say that the operation must be performed as silently as possible, for it is above all things necessary that the men concerned shall have no suspicion that their plot has been discovered. You will conduct other parties to the various rooms occupied by the slaves. The guards on duty inside will be made prisoners. The doors will then be locked and barred as before. The appearance of the knights and the arrest of the guards will be sufficient to show the slaves that their plot has been discovered and there will be no fear of their making any attempt to carry it into execution. I will myself post the main body of the knights in the courtyard. The arrest of the guards is to be carried out at once, as all those not concerned in the plot would be killed when the hour comes for the rising. Therefore this part of the business must be carried out immediately. I should not, however, lead the guards away to a cell, for the less tramping of feet the better. Therefore I shall place two knights in each room and beg them to remain inside in charge until the traitors outside are secured. The knights outside were now marched up. The Grand Master ordered half those of Avergne to go round to the main gate which would be opened for them by the governor. They were to enter quietly and remain in a body close to it until they received further orders. Sir John Kendall told off the rest of the knights to the various duties of watching the houses occupied by the officials and warders, and of entering the prison rooms and remaining in them on guard. The governor, with his private servants, bearing a supply of torches, was to lead them to the various cells and unlock the doors. The knights were enjoined to move as noiselessly as possible, and to avoid all clashing of arms against armor. The governor produced a number of cloths intended to be served out to the slaves. Strips of these were cut off and wrapped round the feet of the English knights, so as to deaden the sound of their boots on the stone pavement. Then, accompanied by the Grand Master and Sir John Kendall, he went the round of the cells. In some of these the slaves were found standing up in an attitude of eager expectation, which, as the door opened, and the light of the torches showed a party of knights, changed into one of terror and consternation. Scarce a word was spoken. The guard was ordered to lay down his arms and to take one of the torches. Two knights placed themselves, one on each side of him with drawn swords. The door was again locked and barred, and the party proceeded to the next cell. In less than a quarter of an hour this part of the work was finished, and D'Aubison, Sir John Kendall, and the governor then took up their station with a party of knights, who, concealed behind a buttress, were watching the doors of the officials' houses. Ten minutes later, one of these doors was heard to open, and five dark figures came noiselessly out. They were allowed to go a short distance in order to see if any others followed, but as no others came out, the governor stepped forward. Whither are you going at this time of night? he asked. 
There was a momentary pause. A few hasty words were exchanged. Then the five men rushed towards him with bared swords or knives. But before they reached him, the knights poured out from their hiding place. We are betrayed, one of the men shouted in Turkish. Fight to the last. Better be killed than tortured and executed. With a yell of fury and despair, they rushed upon the knights. So desperate was their attack that the latter were forced to use their swords, which indeed, burning with rage at the treachery of these men, they were not backward in doing. And in less than a minute, the five traitors lay, with cloven heads, dead on the pavement. It is as well so, D'Aubison said, looking sternly down upon them. Perhaps better so, since it has saved us the scandal of their trial. We might have learned more from them, but we have learned enough since doubtless they have no accomplices among the warders or they would have been with them now we will deal with the arch traitors there is no need for further concealment the noise of this fray will assuredly have been heard by them for they will be listening for the sounds that would tell them the slaves had been liberated followed by the knights he went to the door of the house occupied by the overseers all of whom were members of the lower branch of the order it was indeed evident that an alarm had been given there, for lights appeared at the windows. As they opened the door and entered the hall, several half-dressed men rushed down the stairs with drawn swords, two of them carrying torches in their left hands. As the light fell upon the figures of the Grand Master and the knights, they paused in astonishment. There is treachery at work in the prison, D'Aubison said quietly. I pray you to collect your comrades and to assemble here at once. In a minute or two, some twenty officials were gathered in the hall. Are all here? D'Aubison asked the governor. The latter counted the men. There are two short, he said. Pietro Romano and Carl Schumann. They occupy the same room. Go and fetch them down, four of you. The four men nearest to the stairs at once went up with two torches. They returned in a minute. The door is fastened on the inside, and we can obtain no response. Fetch an axe and break it in, the Grand Master ordered. Sir John Boswell, do you with some other knights take post without? They may attempt to escape by the window, though as we hold the gates it would avail them little. Sir Gervais Tresham, do you follow us? Gervais, who had been placed with the party watching the house, followed the Grand Master and Governor upstairs. A few blows with an axe splintered the door. Its fastenings gave way, and they entered the room. The window was open, and two figures lay prostrate on the ground near it. I half expected this, the Grand Master said. They were listening there. The conflict in the yard told them that the plot had been discovered, and as they saw us approaching the house, they dared not meet the punishment of their crimes, and have fallen by their own daggers. Put a torch close to their faces, Sir Gervais. Do you recognize in either of these men the official you saw in conversation with the Greek? Gervais stepped forward and examined the men's faces. This is the man, he said, pointing to one of them. I marked him so closely that I cannot be mistaken. That is Pietro Romano the governor said. He was an able officer, but discontented with his position and given to quarreling with his comrades. Have a hold dug and bury them in the prison, D'Aubison said. 
they have been false to their vows and false to their religion. They have chosen their own mode of death. Let them be buried like dogs, as they are. But let a careful search be made of their garments and of this room. It may be that they may have some documents concealed, which may be of use to us. The Grand Master then descended to the hall. Members of the Order, he said to the overseers, your guilty companions have met death by their own hands, as the others concerned in this plot have met theirs by the swords of the knights. It were well that this matter were not spoken of outside the prison. The attempt has been detected, and has failed, but were it talked of it might incite others to repeat the attempt, and possibly with better success. Now, he went on, turning to the governor, our work is done here. Call up the other warders, let them take the men now prisoners in the rooms, and place them in a dungeon. Let fresh men be placed on guard, and let all the knights gather in the courtyard. When this was done, and all the knights again assembled, D'Avison said, Our work is nearly done, brothers. The traitors are all dead, and the revolt is at an end. It remains but to capture the author of this attempt. But I believe he is already in our hands. I have given an accurate description of him to Daveshi, who has taken four knights with him, and they probably will catch him down at the port. If not, he will be arrested the first thing in the morning. As to the slaves, they will be so utterly cowed by the discovery that there will be no fear of their repeating the attempt. I have ordered the officials of the prison to say not in the town of what has taken place. There can, however, be no concealment among ourselves. I shall, of course, lay the whole matter before the council. The fact that a strong body of knights has, at so late an hour, started on some unknown mission is, of course, already known in the Aberges of Averny and England. No concealment of the facts is therefore possible. It is the most serious attempt at a revolt of the slaves that has ever taken place, and will be a warning to us that more vigilance must be exercised. As it is, we have only been saved from the loss of our galleys and slaves by the acuteness of one of the youngest of our knights, who, in the first place, noted a suspicious occurrence which would have been passed by without attracting a moment's notice by ninety-nine out of a hundred men. He laid the matter before his bailiff, Sir John Kendall, who accepted his offer to disguise himself as a slave to enter the prison under circumstances that would excite no suspicion among the others, and to live and work among them in order to ascertain whether there was any plot on hand. This task, a painful one as you may imagine, he carried out, and for two weeks he rode as a galley slave. His lot was as hard as that of the others, for, as he had reason to believe that some of the officials were concerned in the plot, it was necessary that all should be kept in ignorance that he was other than what he seemed to be. Thanks to his perfect knowledge of Turkish, he was able to carry his mission through with complete success, and to obtain full particulars of the plot we have tonight crushed. The knight who has performed this inestimable service is Sir Gervais Tresham, of the English Lang. The action he has performed will be noted in the annals of the order as an example of intelligence and of the extreme of self-sacrifice, as well as of courage, for his life would have been assuredly forfeited had the slaves entertained the slightest suspicion of his real character. There was a murmur of acclamation among the knights. 
not one of them but would have freely risked his life in the service of the order but there were few who would not have shrunk from the idea of living as a slave among the slaves sharing their tasks and subject to the orders of men of inferior rank and often brutal manners the knights now returned to their abergeds it was past midnight but at the english house the lamps and flambeaux were lighted in the great hall the servitors were called up wine placed on the table and the knights discussed the incidents of the evening when the meal had concluded sir john kindle said brother knights when the grand master bestowed the honor of secular knighthood upon this young comrade of ours he predicted that he would rise to high distinction in the order i think you will all agree with me that the prediction is already in a fair way of being fulfilled and that the services he has rendered to the order justify us his comrades of the english lang in feeling proud of him i drink brothers to his health a loud shout rose from the assembled knights for upon the return of the party who had been away the rest of those at the aberge had hastily arobed themselves and descended to the hall to gather the news when the shout had died away and the wine-cups were emptied gervase who was sitting on sir john kendall's right hand would gladly have retained his seat but the bailiff told him that he must say a few words and after standing in embarrassed silence for a minute he said sir john kendall and brother knights i can only say that i am very sensible of the kindness with which you have been pleased to regard what seems to me after all to have been a very ordinary affair i saw a man whom i knew to be a stranger in the island speaking surreptitiously to a slave and afterwards saw him conversing with a prison officer that naturally struck me as curious and i followed the officer to see to which prison he belonged any one would have thought as i did that such a thing was strange if not suspicious and the only way to find out whether there was anything in it was to mix with the slaves as i spoke turkish well enough to do so i asked sir john kindle's permission to disguise myself he gave me every assistance and i shared their lot for a fortnight there was no very great hardship in that certainly nothing to merit the praise that sir john kindle has been kind enough to bestow on me nevertheless i am very glad to have gained your good opinion and very grateful to him and to you for drinking to my health then he sat down abruptly sir john kindle now rose and the knights following his example betook themselves to their dormitories the next morning notices were sent by the grand master to the bailiffs of the aberges and the knights of the grand cross who happened to be in the island to assemble in council messages were also sent to gervais requesting him to repair at the same hour to the palace as the council would probably require his attendance oh dear i wish this was all over he said to ralph as the latter assisted him to buckle on his armor i don't see anything to sigh about ralph said i think that you are the most fortunate fellow in the world i do not say that you have not well deserved it because it is the tremendous way you worked at turkish and gave up everything else that has enabled you to do this still there was luck in your noticing that villain talking to the galley slaves and then to one of the officers of the prison of course as the grand master said last night it isn't one in a thousand who would have thought anything more about it and i am sure i shouldn't 
so that and all the rest is entirely your own doing still it was a piece of luck that you noticed him talking with a slave don't think i envy you gervaise i don't a bit and feel as much as any one that you have well deserved the honor you have obtained still you know it is a sort of consolation to me that luck had a little just a little to do with it in my opinion luck had everything to do with it gervaise said heartily and i feel downright ashamed at there being such a fuss made over it it was bad enough before merely because i had hit on a plan for our escape from those pirates but this is worse and i feel horribly nervous at the thought of having to appear before the grand master and the council well that brown dye will hide your blushes gervaise i can only say i wish that i was in your place by the by have you heard that they caught that rascal greek last night no i have not heard anything about it yes the knights hid themselves behind a pile of goods on the wharf there was no one about so far as they could see but soon after twelve they saw a figure come up onto the deck of a fishing boat moored by the quay it was the greek who stood there for a minute or two listening and then went down again he did this five or six times and at one o'clock they saw him throw up his arms as if in despair he stepped ashore and was about to make his way up into the town when they rushed out and seized him there is no doubt as to what his fate will be i am sorry to say that i hear my friend vredos has been arrested but there can be no doubt about his loyalty and he will assuredly be able to explain to the satisfaction of the council how this man became a resident at his house i am sorry i met him there ralph it is a very unpleasant thing to have gone to a house to have been received kindly and then to be the means of bringing trouble upon it yes i feel that a little myself because i took you there and yet i cannot regret it for if you had not seen him and taken an objection to him you might not have noticed him particularly when he spoke to one of the galley slaves it is certainly curious that you should have doubted the man for i have met him there several times and even after your visit with me i could see nothing in him to justify your dislike gervaise went up to the palace and while waiting in the great hall until summoned before the council he was warmly accosted by several knights some of whom were quite strangers to him who all joined in congratulating him on the immense service he had done to the order it was upwards of an hour before he was called in the council have received sir gervais tresham the grand master said full details from sir john kendall of the manner in which you first discovered and have since followed up the daring plot by which the slaves at St. Pelagius were to have risen, slain the guards who were faithful, spiked the cannon in the three water forts, burnt the merchant shipping, carried off six galleys and burnt the rest, and in their name I thank you for having saved the order from a great calamity. The members of the council agree with me that you have shown an amount of discernment of the highest kind, and that you are worthy of exceptional favor and reward for your conduct i therefore in my own name appoint you to the commandery of our manor of maltby in lincolnshire 
which having fallen vacant is in my gift, and I release it from the usual payment of the first year's revenue, knowing that you desire to establish yourself here. The council have at my request decided to make an exception of the general rule that a knight, on promotion to a commandery, must return and take charge of it in two years from the time the grant is made to him. The commandery will therefore be administered by the senior of the knights attached to it. The council on their part have requested the bailiff of Averdy as Grand Master of the Fleet to appoint you to the command of the galley now building, and approaching completion. This he has consented to do, feeling, as we all feel, that although such an appointment is unprecedented for a young knight, yet in the present case such an exception may well be made. I may add that the admiral has, in order that no knight greatly your superior should be placed under your command, determined that he will appoint to it only young knights, who will, we are assured, gladly serve under one who has so distinguished himself, feeling certain that, under his command, they will have ample opportunities against the infidels to prove themselves worthy of the order. I may add also that the bailiffs of all the Langs promise that they will select from among the young knights, such as may seem best fitted for such service, by their skill in warlike exercises, by their ready obedience to orders and good conduct. And I foresee that the spirit of emulation and the desire to show that, though still but professed knights, they are capable of performing as valiant deeds as their elders, will make the galley under your command one of the most successful in the order. As you are aware, it is a stringent rule, which even in so exceptional a case we should not be justified in breaking, that a knight must reside in the island for five years previous to being promoted to a commandery. It is now two months more than that time since you were received as page to the late Grand Master, and in promoting you to a commandery, I have not, therefore, broken the rule. You may retire, Sir Gervase. Gervase, overwhelmed by the unlooked-for honors thus bestowed upon him, bowed deeply to the Grand Master and the members of the council, and then retired from the chamber. He passed out of the palace by a side door, so as to avoid being accosted by the knights in the great hall, and took his way out onto the ramparts, where he walked up and down for a considerable time before returning to the auberge. He felt no hilarity at his promotion. He had never entertained any ambition for rising to high office in order, but had hoped only to perform his duty as a true knight, to fight against the infidels, and some day, if need be, to die for the order. The commandery was, he knew, a rich one, and as its chief he would draw a considerable revenue from the estate. This afforded him no pleasure whatsoever except insomuch as it would enable him, in his new command of the galley, to keep a handsome table and to entertain well the knights who served under him. It seemed to him, however, that the reward and honors were so far beyond his deserts that he felt almost humiliated by their bestowal. The responsibility, too, was great. Would these young knights, the youngest of whom could be but a year his junior, serve willingly under his orders? And above all, would they be able to emulate the deeds of experienced warriors, and would the galley worthily maintain the fame of the order? At the end of two hours he was joined by Ralph Harcourt. 
I have been looking for you everywhere, Gervais. You seemed to have disappeared mysteriously. None had marked you leave the council chamber, or knew where you had gone. And after searching everywhere, I remembered your fondness for walks upon the walls. So I climbed to the top of St. John's Tower, and thence espied you. Well, I congratulate you most heartily on the honors that have fallen to your share, especially that of the command of a new galley. It is too much altogether, Ralph. I feel ashamed at being thus thrust into a post that ought to be given to a knight of age and experience. How can I expect a number of young knights, of whom well nigh all must be my seniors in age, to obey me as they would an older man? What has age to do with it? Ralph said. You have shown that you have a head to think, and, as you before proved, you have an arm to strike. Why, every knight in the order must feel proud that one of their own age has gained such honor. It raises them all in their own esteem, and you will see that you will get the pick among all the professed knights and of a good many who have finished their profession, and are serving here in hope of some day getting promotion to a commandery. Not such an one as you have got, that in the ordinary course of things does not fall to a knight until he is well on in years, and has served in many commanderies of smaller value. I can tell you, directly Sir John Kendall came back, and told us that you had been appointed commander of the new galley, and that it was to be manned wholly by young knights. There was not one of those serving their profession in the auberge who did not beg Sir John to put down his name for it, and ten or twelve others, myself among them, who have obtained full knighthood also. You don't mean to say that you have put down your name to serve under me, Ralph. It would be monstrous. I see nothing monstrous in it, Gervais. As I said just now, years have nothing to do with it. And putting aside our friendship, I would rather serve under you than many knights old enough to be your father. I don't know whether I shall have the luck to be one of the chosen. As Sir John said, there were to be only seven from each lang, which will make forty-nine, with yourself fifty. If I am chosen, and knowing our friendship, I hope that the bailiff will let me go with you. It is likely enough I may be named your lieutenant, as I shall be the only one beside yourself who is a secular knight, and am, therefore, superior in rank to the rest. That would be pleasant indeed, Ralph, though I would rather that you had been made commander and I lieutenant. But at any rate, with you to support me, I shall feel less oppressed by the thought of my responsibility. As Ralph had declared would be the case, the young knights in the other aberges were as anxious as those of England to be enrolled among the crew of the new galley, and the bailiffs had some trouble in choosing among the aspirants. Very few were selected outside the rank of professed knights, and as great pains were taken to comply with the Grand Master's wishes, that only young knights of good conduct and disposition, and distinguished by their proficiency in warlike exercises, should be chosen. The crew was in every way a picked one. Most of them had made one or two of the three months' voyages in the galleys. 
though comparatively few had had the good fortune to be absolutely engaged with the Muslim pirates. To the great satisfaction of himself and Gervais, Ralph Harcourt was nominated lieutenant of the galley. The fact that so many had volunteered impressed all those who were chosen with the sense that it was at once an honor and a piece of good fortune to be selected. And all were determined that the boy galley, as the elder knights laughingly termed it, would do honor to the order. It was a fortnight before she was launched. Gervais had heard with great satisfaction that it had been decided by the council that no punishment should be inflicted upon the slaves for their share in the intended rising at St. Pelagius. All were guilty, and there was no means of saying who had taken prominent parts in the plot. The council felt that it was but natural that they should grasp at the prospect of freedom, for they themselves would have done the same had they been captives of the infidels. Even the warders and guards were allowed to go unpunished, although their offense was a much more serious one. Those who could have named the men who had accepted bribes were dead, and the lesson had been so severe a one that there was no probability of any again turning traitors. The author of the rising had been publicly executed. Seeing the hopelessness of denial, he had boldly avowed his share in the matter, and had acknowledged that he was acting as agent for the sultan, and had been supplied with ample funds before leaving Constantinople. He declared that he was absolutely unable to give any names whatever of those concerned in the plot, save those of the two overseers, as these had undertaken the work of suborning the warders and guards. Though he admitted that he had on several occasions spoken to slaves as the gangs were on their way back to the prison, and had told them to be prepared to take part in a plan that was on foot for their rescue from slavery. The torture had not been, as was the usual custom, applied to extort information, partly because his story was probable, still more because the Grand Master and Council did not wish that more publicity should be given to the affair, and were glad that it should be allowed to drop without any further trial of the delinquents. In the city, generally, it was only known that a plot had been discovered for the liberation and escape of some of the slaves, and, outside the members of the order, none were aware of its extent and dangerous character. To the satisfaction of Gervais and Ralph, Fredos was able to produce letters and documents that satisfied the council that he had been deceived as to the character of the Greek, and was wholly innocent in the matter. End of chapter 11. Recording by Peter Strom in Sabetha, Kansas, on December 28, 2018.